So before we get started, please note that this episode contains discussions of suicidal thoughts, which some people may find distressing. Hi, I'm Sophie Marie Odom, Lifestyle Magazine's editor. I'm Samantha Reng, broadcaster and disability rights campaigner. And welcome to the final episodes of this season of the Motability Lifestyle Pod. Oh, I'm shedding a tear. In this podcast, we invite our friends from the disability community into the studio for a conversation about, well, how we can all live our best life. And particularly, you know, when we're navigating a disabling world. Today, we are joined by the former Royal Marines Commando, Mark Omrod. While deployed in Afghanistan in 2007, Mark lost both legs and an arm due to an explosion. Since then, he's been on a mission to spread a message of positivity and resilience and continues to challenge himself. He has a long list of remarkable achievements. Hi Sam, how are you? I'm a bit tearful. I know. I'm a bit sad. I'm a bit tristes. We've had a good run, haven't we? We have. Today is the last episode of season one. Season one, but I do feel like we're having a mini breakup. You yes. know, like when you're on a break, like I, I really still care for you, I still love you, but I need a break. I need, I need some time. <laughs> I need some time, I need a break. But no, it has been such a great series. I hope really all has. our listeners agree and we've got a little cup of something a, a, here a, to uh, a little drinky poos yes, to uh, cheers to an excellent season one so on to our last reasons Aww. to be cheerful for this season our first is Call Crutches and Walking Sticks launches the UK's first walking aid recycling scheme. Oh, wow. So what they'll do is they'll send refurbished aids to those in need globally um, and I was just thinking this links back to our episode one yes. with James. Do you remember our episode yeah. with James Freeman and he was talking about when he was at the Paralympics mm-hmm. and obviously he got talking with people from other countries and he was saying like he realised how lucky he's got mm-hmm. it really in the UK that he is given mobility aids whereas in some parts of the world yeah. they're not given freely. And, it, and one of the reasons is because I've looked into this and my mum is a nurse and she works in residential care and they get like zimmer frames and like abundance of mobility aids and she's like so, so wasteful because sadly if someone passes away like what do you do with it and one of the reasons is obviously health and safety and it costs too much for an occupational therapist to come out and say whether that is actually safe or not I mean it's a joke anywho my friend who works for um, Calais with refugees, he used to go around and pick up things. So we actually just gave him, it sounds really bad, like, you know, but we gave him a lot of um, wheelchairs and mobility aids because we don't think about it. There may be people who are disabled who have to abandon their wheelchairs when they are crossing the channel. So um, I'm so glad that it's it's working in a way that suits everyone. And it's hopefully that will be something that we can to be a universal yeah, thing. Universal. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. I agree. So the company called Crutches, which is a walking aid company, um, is working with PhysioNet, which is a UK-based charity dedicated to redistributing unwanted mobility aids. Um, and they found as well that there was a WHO study, WHO study, that found that there's like millions. I haven't got yeah. exact numbers to hand. So how it works is you purchase a new walking stick or crutches from Call Crutches and Walking Sticks, and then the company will send the necessary packaging for you to pack up and send your old walking aid and then it'll be hand delivered to the team of volunteers at PhysioNet. If you're interested in in this scheme then you just need to visit callcrutches.com and there's all the information on the website. So what next? What else have we got? News. Accessible rambling. Are you a rambler? A Do you what, like what? a rambler? Do you like going walking? Absolutely not. <laughs> 
Actually, I I'm going to be moving somewhere where I can do a bit more rambling. Yes. Moving back to the northwest, and we have got beautiful places to ramble. Yes, is Cumbria far from you? Is it quite far? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I so mean, it's, I mean, we're it's up there. Yeah, it's, up, it's yeah. still up north, but yeah, still a bit far because this is a the first ever walking guidebook for wheelchair users published in Britain, and it's called Pathfinder Lake District and Cumbria Accessible Routes for All. It's by Ordnance Survey, and it's a walking guidebook designed for wheelchair users that. and it showcases 38 walks in the Lake District National Park, the Cumbrian Solway Coast and sections of Hadrian's Wall. Um, so every route has been meticulously crafted to ensure a seamless experience. Love it. Um, it's categorised by accessibility ratings, easy, moderate, challenging and very challenging. And it's written by Mike Routledge, who lives in and works in Cumbria, so he's very well versed. He's a volunteer at Calvert Trust, a specialist outdoor residential centre offering a range of accessible activity breaks for people with disabilities. And he said, the book aims to remove barriers, install confidence and encourage wheelchair users who have been daunted by the prospect of venturing off the beaten track to enjoy the beauty that. and freedom that they felt they couldn't experience before. You know, the Lake District, I spent a lot of my childhood there, absolutely stunning. Um, I think it's Hadrian's Wall. I feel like I've just had a flashback to my high school yeah. class, but you know, just to make sure you buy a lot of Kendall mint cake. Oh. That's the only reason you go rambling, yeah. it's for the Kendall mint cake. <laughs> Cake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Always Ken- cake. Well, no, Kendall and cake is like mint, isn't it? It's oh. covered in chocolate. It's to give ramblers or hikers that energy boost. Oh. But if you're not hiking or walking, then it just gives you a sugar rush. <laughs> Ultimately, that's all I remember. I'm all for a sugar rush. Um, if you are interested in this book, you can get a copy at shop.ordinancesurvey.co.uk. Our guest today is Mark Omrod, MBE. Mark is a former Royal Marines commando. He was four months into a tour of duty in Afghanistan when on Christmas Eve 2007 he stepped on an explosive device which blew up in front of him. He was the UK's first triple amputee to survive the Afghanistan conflict. Now he is a motivational speaker, author and athlete. He won numerous medals at the Invictus Games and is ready for his next challenge. Mark, a really warm welcome to the Motability Lifestyle Pod. Let's go back to that moment for for a second. In 2007, you'd obviously been injured in Afghanistan. And then within five months, you learned how to walk with crutches and received a medal for bravery at the Royal Marine Ceremony, which is fab. Have you got photos of you in the uh, the little outfit? I would love for you to send them by, by <laughs> WhatsApp later. Um, Sorry, group. Honestly. Anyway, I digress. Where do you find the motivation to regain your independence so quickly? Because, you know, I was born with my disability and and I guess that's a very different journey for when you have acquired a disability. And although our journeys may overlap in the sense of I have only in, you know, subsequent years found that pride in my disability. But I guess for you who has had a, a glimpse of what it's as a non-disabled person you know, it is completely different. And I, I'm always fascinated, inspired in a non-icky way by people like yourself. So before I answer your question, I mean, I, I think the same about what you just said. I always, I actually feel quite grateful in a way that I've seen both sides of it. You know, so I had 24 years as, as a fit, able-bodied man. And then now the rest of my life as a disabled man. And that's not something that I I take for granted. I'm very grateful that I've been able to experience that. But in terms of the motivation after the incident, in the Royal Marines, 
we have very high standards personally and professionally. We have a very strong ethos uh, and a brotherhood and we're always looking out for that man to our left and, and to our right. And we're always trying to live up to the standards that are ingrained in us when we go through that, that grueling training. When I was injured, obviously, you know, I'm not going to say that I just woke up in hospital and was like, okay, cool, it's happened. let's go, because that's not how it works, right? There were some, some dark times too. But when I was laying in the hospital bed, I, I spent six weeks in hospital, and I didn't have anything to do but think. And I started to think about those standards and, and that ethos and uh, that, that code, I guess, if you like, that we get ingrained into us. And I thought to myself, well, just because... I'm now a triple amputee. It doesn't mean that those standards don't apply. Now, my unit were still in Afghanistan when I was in hospital. And I knew that when they came back, we'd had this big fancy medals parade where everyone gets issued their operational service medal and all their friends and family flying from all over the world. And so I just remember thinking while I was going through rehab that I could apply those standards to my recovery. And I wanted to show those people at the unit and those people watching on TV, what being a Royal Marines commander was all about, and that those standards apply to everything that we do personally and professionally. So once I was given the green light to be able to use my prosthetics, I had to be very sensible. This was hard for me because I was very, you know, just get it done, just get it done, just get it done. But because of the wounds I had and, and the scarring, I had to be very patient. And I couldn't just say, give me the legs, let me go. I had to listen to what the professionals said calm myself down a little bit and, and and wait. And when that day finally came and they said, okay, you're healed enough now, you can start learning to walk. I had already set up a plan. I knew what the date was going to be of that Meadows Parade. And so I started working that plan. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it was brutal. It, it was brutal physically. It was brutal mentally. It completely destroyed my ego because I, I thought I just you know give me the legs I'm fit and I'll go, and I, and I was so wrong. Like I, I'm missing both my legs above the knee, and my right arm, which was my dominant arm, above the elbow. So for me to do anything, it takes between 300 and 500 percent more energy than an able-bodied person. It was ugly, you know. The walking was never going to be pretty, but I just wanted to be able to muddle my way through it so I could stand on the sidelines, walk on the parade ground stand shoulder to shoulder with those men that I fought with and then receive that medal in, in the only way in my mind that I thought was acceptable. And so that was my motivation right from the very beginning. But when I achieved that, I went home that evening and started reflecting on this tiny journey that I'd been on to that point and just had this epiphany that goal setting was what I needed to do with my life. Because it gave me a focus and it gave me a, a direction. It was very positive. And so I started setting goals in my personal life and in my professional life in all the areas that were important to me. You know, so my family, my career, my finances, my health, my fitness, and, and all those things. When you do that, you know, when the alarm goes off in the morning, if you've got something to get up for and something to aim for and a, and a goal to achieve, it's so much easier than having nothing and just getting up and thinking, you know, what's today going to bring? As long as whatever it is you're aiming for gives you goosebumps and, and the hairs on the back of your neck stick up, that's 
a girl worth pursuing. If you go back to why you're doing these things when you're struggling and your morale's low, that's what I found brings me out of it. As long as having phenomenal people around you. Well, I think you've just hit the nail on the head. I think having that team around you, having like-minded people, people who are there to support you. You know, what you just said there is so powerful. You know, if you do one thing every day, no matter how big or small, then it will get you towards your end game. But you need to be clear about your, your end game. But also for, for balance, even if you were in a wheelchair, me as a full-time wheelchair user, even if you went up in a wheelchair, that is absolutely still well, valid absolutely. as well. Because we know that there'll be a lot of people here um, listening to the podcast who, you know, that would be their their lived experience and that is also valid but I think the the culture working in the military my dad was an army man as well is that camaraderie and I think maybe that's what we're missing in a wider society is that you know no matter who you are what you look like what your circumstances we will support you irrespective so I think that is so beautiful that you had that in that moment of of need yeah, ultimately absolutely um, you mentioned there about, you know, throughout the whole process, your your ego, you know, you know, you had to rebuild up yourself. But was there any other tough, really tough moments that you, you look back on and just think like, wow, like how did I get through that? So I had the the moment that you might all expect in that first six weeks in hospital where the doctor came in and told me that I would be wheelchair bound for life. I, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I'll be very honest, that made me suicidal. Um, I didn't see a way past that. I was 24 years old, you know, and having this professional come in and tell me that I would rely on people for the rest of my life was very hard for my ego to take. But I, I did get over it. I guess, you know, destiny stepped in. Uh, you know, a couple of days after that doctor came to visit me, a, an amputee came to visit me. He was missing both his legs above the knee and he was on prosthetics. And so he talked to me about his journey about the re rehabilitation process, about the prosthetics and, and the things that he was doing. So he was a father. He was still in the army and he was a Paralympic winter skier. So he'd achieved a lot and that gave me hope. And that was great. That pulled me out of that, that depression. And then about a week and a half after that, uh, I left the hospital and was allowed to stay out of the clinical environment for a night. They, I got rid of all the infections and they said I was safe. And I went into a flat that was provided for my family. And I saw myself for the first time in a full-length mirror. And I had gone from six foot two and 16 stone to, I think I'm about three foot five, maybe, without my legs on now. And at that point, I think I was under nine stone in weight as well. Obviously, because of the limb loss, but the infections and my face was very gaunt. And where I had a jacket on, the arm was flapping next to the wheelchair. And I just, I cried all night. I, I sat with my now wife, Becky, she's my girlfriend at the time, and I cried all night because I just didn't want to live that way. You know, I was too wrapped up in what I thought I was, which was, you know, it was all about my physicality back then, about how strong I could be, how fast I could run, you know, I could do this, could do that. And uh, I didn't see a way forward as this guy now in a wheelchair, missing three limbs, having to rely on people. So that was extremely tough. But again, getting good people around me, people that can help me shake it off having a good cry is very therapeutic you know it just it's like a purge and you get rid of all those negative thoughts you wake up the next day and like right that's done let's go and then I went back to the hospital started creating this plan for when I eventually left and went to rehab and then got to rehab and started implementing it straight away to keep me busy 
That's really refreshing when you said that having a cry is mm-hmm. a good cry is just a cathartic process because men don't talk about that enough. Do they? Men, as in general, don't talk about crying and how it is actually a helpful process. I've seen it. So for you to say that is just I, I, I'm, I had zero shame. And I'll go on the biggest platform in the world and tell people that if it helps them because it is so beneficial. And, you know, I'm not the, the biggest, toughest, you know, rowdiest man in the world, but I was a Royal Marines commando. And if I can say that, then I think a lot of people can go out and say it and do it and, and see the benefits. You mentioned, you know, the triumph over adversity, and I guess that can be somewhat problematic for the disability community in the sense of, and it was the late Stella Young, so she was an incredible um, Australian activist, and she coined the term inspiration porn, and she did an amazing TED Talk, and she said, you know, no amount of positivity or or smiling at a flight of stairs is going to mean that I can get up the flight of stairs as a wheelchair user. Are you mindful of that? Because obviously your social media is incredibly you know, positive, it's a wash with inspirational messages. How do you get that balance? Because, you know, people, like you said, people aren't always in a position to see the light in in the dark. And we also don't want to objectify disabled people going, well, if, you know, you're only valid if you, you know, push yourself to your limits. Some people are just happy with their circumstance and, and that's, that's okay too. So how do you keep that balance whenever you're on stage or giving these inspirational talks? I share that exact message. You know, everybody is on their own individual journey. Everyone has their own individual mm-hmm. goals. They have different lifestyles, different things they want to achieve. You know, we're not, we don't all have to push ourselves every day to break a point to be, to be valid. And it's, it's very funny actually, because I remember when I was first injured and I was in the wheelchair and I would meet people for the first time and, you know, shake their hand and say hello. And I don't know if this is like most people's, most disabled people's experience, but within the first five minutes, 90% of these people would say, so when are you training for the Paralympics? And I was like, <laughs> is this a prerequisite of being disabled? Do we yeah, apparently. Paralympic stars? And I'm like, I don't want to do the Paralympics. I've got different goals. You know, I want to r- grow my family. I want to figure out what I'm going to do as a new career. I want to do other things. I don't want to be a Paralympian, you know, and, and, for a while, I get exactly what you're saying. It kind of felt like, well, am I not valid as a disabled person unless I've got a medal at the Paralympics? What, what's that about? So I just, I ignored it all for nearly 10 years when it came to sport and just set my own path, focused on what I wanted to do. Because uh, there's, a, there's a lot more out there. You know, you could be a writer, a TV presenter, radio host, whatever whatever you want to do. In this day and age, you know, it's it's... I was going to say it's a great time to be disabled. I guess it's never a great time. <laughs> well, it's the best time because of technology, because of opportunities. Everything, you can go out there and pretty much do what you want to do. So, you know, you don't have to be doing a million things all the time. Just find what you're passionate about and go do that. I've seen so many of your talks, Mark, and you're just such a positive person, like a ray of sunshine. <laughs> like, you know, there's always, you're always looking at like, the positives of life. And But you're human. And on the days that you don't feel positive like what how do you bring yourself back up and what advice do you have to listeners on the days that they might not feel positive i just tell myself that it's fine i've actually been going through that recently now uh, if you check back a couple of days ago on my social media i put a very honest post about how i was so grateful i've got three healthy happy children a lovely wife a roof over my head and food in my belly i've got all these amazing opportunities that i'm lucky enough to have but i just felt a little bit bleh for like 
a week and a half, two weeks. But I know it's temporary. I know you, you just you can't go through life riding the, the crest of the wave all the time. You have to come down. And it's taken me a while to get here because I would used to, in the past, get wrapped up in the, oh, I feel rubbish. This isn't nice. Now my mindset is, this is normal. This is part of the process. You have to experience these lows and go through them to appreciate the heights. You know, and this morning I went and visited my eldest daughter and had this exact conversation with her because she's going through some stuff too. And I said, if you never, if you just left school, started this business and everything was plain sailing, you'd be bored and you won't understand it or appreciate success when it comes. You're, you have to ride this out and figure ways through it to be able to appreciate the other side of it. So you don't, you know, I do, like I just said, wake up on days and I'm like, Ugh. You know what I mean? I don't want to do it or got too much to do. I'm overwhelmed or then I'll just chill. I mean, we were talking about this as well. It's about setting boundaries as well and yeah. just knowing how much you can give. And sometimes yeah. it's okay. Like you said, just to kick back and just have a you day and not feel like you need to be on and, and you know, be this positive person. And obviously you are positive by nature, but there are some days that you might not feel positive and it's fine. Yeah. And, and do you... Do you share that? Are you quite open about sharing those down moments? And because I, I really struggle with that as someone who's in the public eye, in the sense of, I, I am innately positive, but I also am human and I have my down days. But sometimes I do feel like when I share the down days, I get influx of people kind of jumping on that negativity bandwagon, and I don't know how how helpful or safe that is for my own mental well-being so how do you do first of all do you share that and if you do do how do you set boundaries yourself i I do share absolutely um i think it's important too i think the problem with social media is everyone wants to share the highs and you know make out that they've got this great life and everything's rosy all the time and that doesn't help other people because other people look at that and be like why have they got it so easy why are they so successful they never have bad days. So I absolutely do share the the down times. But it is hard to, to manage, you know, when you talk about boundaries, because of social media, you are contacted everywhere. And I do have a lot of emails, DMs across all the platforms from people who are struggling, particularly people who are either new amputees or are scheduled for an amputation. In fact, this morning, I had to, to DM a guy and say, he asked me if I could mentor him, his amputation is booked in, could I mentor him through the process? And listen, wow. I will help you where I can, but my time is very limited. I have a family, I have a career, I will help you where I can, that's the boundary. And the thing is as well, I think what I've learned over the years is if you help people too much, it can, it can have detrimental effects. You can guide them and coach them, but they have to do the work. So it's difficult. It's difficult. It's taken me. I've been doing it for on social media for fifteen years now. So it's taken me this long to learn to set some boundaries. But we're getting. We're getting. I'm still really rubbish. <laughs> it will come. It will Can come. you help me, please? Um, so let's just say that you are. I would say an overachiever. Is that is that is that correct? Because you are, of course, a, an amazing athlete, and you won gold at the Invictus Games, and you are a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, pro, and you also do a, a, a smidge of open water swimming. No. Have I have I missed anything else? Are you a whiz in the kitchen or no? no? Oh, no. Okay, cool. Slightly intimidated there, but well, you reined it back <laughs> in. Um, 
clearly keeping active is, in, is a really big part of your life. So what is it about physical sport that kind of, you know, is important to you? Is it the regime? Is it the fact that you can set goals or is it just for the sheer fun of it? I just think it's a very important part of all of our lifestyles. There's no doubt in my mind, and I'm not a doctor, but there's no doubt in my mind that the link between physical health and mental health, it's linked. When I work out, I feel better physically, but I also feel better mentally. Clearer, more motivated. You know, it's um, it keeps me on track. And you build a good community of people as well around you. When you go and do specific sports, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community is probably the closest that I've found to the military community. And when you bear in mind, we're rolling around trying to choke each other unconscious and <laughs> each other's limbs off. But as soon as we're finished, we're, we're sharing a coffee together and, and talking about life and sharing our problems. It's actually a, I guess, unofficial form of therapy. But I just, it's always been a huge part of my life since I was about 13 years old, just physical activity and, you know, feeling like I've left it all out there. And, you know, once you, once you work out and you, you put a good session, everything else seems easy. I love that. I love that because I think, you know, conventional therapy can be costly for starters. I think it can take a, a specific person to go and speak to a stranger so openly. So I think that's that. I've never thought of sport like that, that you have that chit chat afterwards yeah. and and you know you, you yeah i love that so anyone's listening maybe that might be a an avenue to explore if you do feel isolated or ostracized mm-hmm. go and join a join a club it doesn't have to be sport just join a club yeah. get be part of a community and mark i know you're a motability scheme customer i am um and i just wanted to ask like how has the scheme enabled you to you know do these sports and just go on all these motivational like when you go and speak and talk and host workshops like how does the scheme enable you to do that i mean having the vehicle just gives me independence do you know and i often think about this i often sit there and you know it's a friday now so i'll review my week in my mind while i'm just chilling out later and i'll I'll sit there and think how could i do this if i had to rely on someone else to, to constantly take me places you know i couldn't go swimming well i mean i could but it would be a lot harder taking myself to the gym daily, you know, the, the car and what the scheme provides gives me that independence to go out and live the life that I want to live. You know, I'm not restricted in, in any way. And I travel the country as a speaker. It's given me the ability to have a career after my injuries. Again, that would be very difficult. There are, there's public transport, absolutely. But I, as a, as an individual, prefer the car because it just gives me, it's the ultimate level of freedom for me. I can go where I want, do what I want, whenever I want, however I want, within the speed limit. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Get that one in there quickly. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure that you've got lots of fabulous things up your sleeve. So can you can you give us a bit of a taster, a bit of a tease as to what might be coming up for you next? Yeah, so I'm trying to write my second book now. Well, I'm trying to write two books, actually. One is going to be a complete autobiography starting from when I was a kid getting bullied and finding fitness through to current day. Then I'm writing one focused on mindset. And and like we've talked about, it's going to be about that's very honest and very raw. I'm going to talk about the crying and going to therapy and the benefits of sport and how I built my mind up during Royal Marine training, during recovery and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to get more into the, the media world uh, as a presenter, TV, radio, podcast, and that kind of stuff. 
And in November, uh, myself and a team of 10 para-athletes are going out to Abu Dhabi to compete in the World Para Jiu-Jitsu Championships. So hopefully, by Christmas, I might be able to say that I'm a para Jiu-Jitsu World Champion. <laughs> oh, fingers crossed. That would be amazing. Yeah, fingers crossed. Good luck. Thanks. Mark, half an hour is not enough. No. Um, but before you go, we have a tradition going on where our previous guests ask our next guest a question. So our previous guest had a question for you, which is, what is your favourite thing about your disability? What do you love about your disability? I love the fact that I never have to have a knee replacement when I get older. <laughs> No, uh, do you know what? So some of the speaking that I do is in schools and kids are fascinated. And I have a thing in my prosthetic legs called a rotator in the knee. And it means that I can basically take from my knee down, do my shin and foot and spin the thing 360. <laughs> or like this. when a, an assembly of kids will come in, I'll have both my legs with my feet facing up with like a book on them. No, you don't. Do, yeah. <laughs> I bet they love it's that. Just an instant icebreaker because there's no awkwardness. Yeah. They're all like yeah. affing and, and they're like, that's so cool. That's <laughs> and then instantly you've got rapport with all of them. And then you go into telling your story or whatever you're there to do. And it's amazing that it, you think if you can take something which once in my life I thought was so terrible and use it to be so empowering, and then you've cracked the cupboard. No, if you can bring joy to other people through it, you've cracked the code. Oh, what a beautiful sentiment to end on. Honestly, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. It's been brilliant. Not very positive. Yes. I felt uplifted. <laughs> very uplifted. <laughs> it is our final show of season one. But, you know, if I'm not overreaching, we may have a season two. So in that eventuality, have you got a question for our next guest on season two so it could be something as off the wall as what is your favorite ice cream or something a little bit more um meaningful and 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 philosophical okay so i'm going to assume that if the next guest was born with a disability or acquired it later in life that they didn't just wake up one day and be super positive right there was a there was a turning point so my question is what when what when where was the turning point? Was it a book, a person, a seminar, a TV show? What was that one thing where, where the light bulb went off and you're like, okay, we're good to go now? Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. It's been Thank brilliant. you, ladies. Sam, for the last time this season. I'm going to do something extra. It's culture women. It's culture women. Culture women. Oh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Why am I still single? <laughs> You're going to miss that, Matt, aren't you? I am, yeah. What are Thanks. we talking about today? Today, we are talking about how to drive safely in the winter months. <gasps> it's um, approaching winter. It is, it is. Uh, it's very important because obviously at the moment in a lot of places there are delays with car repairs. So if you do get in an accident, it can mean people are without their car for extended periods, which is not ideal. Uh, and often obviously, even though there's courtesy cars, they're not always perfect or they might not have the adaptations you need or whatever. So yeah, it, it, obviously anything we can do to help avoid an accident is is great. So I'm going to jump in and say the, the first thing to do, so if the weather's rubbish, if it's hammering with rain, if it's snowy, if it's icy, or even it's just really cold, because 
being very cold can, can drastically reduce your grip. The most important thing is give yourself time yeah. on a journey. Mm-hmm. Give yourself time because you're going to go out, the windows are all going to be frozen or there's going to be snow on the car that you've got to get rid of. So, you know, you've got to have time to, for the car to defrost and to demist the windows and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it's a, it's a legal requirement for your windscreen to be clear. Um, you see people trying to look through like some saucer-shaped <laughs> hole that they've managed to. Uh, and, yeah, that's not Yeah, no, I love it. It's not funny. <laughs> I know. Why are we always in a rush? I mean, I know, just yeah. wait for the, uh, the, the windscreen to defrost. Absolutely. You've just got to give yourself that bit of extra time and it takes the stress out of your journey. And also your journey's even ignoring that beginning prep bit. Your journey's going to take longer because people are going to be driving slower. There's likely to be accidents. Uh, And also if the conditions are that bad, just think, do you need to go out today or is it better to go another day? I'm happy to stay at home for like November to January. Where's Sam? I'm at home. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And of course as well, when you do set off, stick to main roads because yes. uh, more for if it's snowy or, or icy because the main roads will have either been gritted or there will have already been cars that have gone and kind of cleared it up a bit whereas back roads and rural roads are likely to be a bit more treacherous the next thing is make sure your car's in in you know is road worthy uh, that shouldn't be a problem on the motability scheme because most of the cars will be new but the thing that i can't stress enough in terms of looking after your car is just make sure your tires are in good condition okay. because it's the only thing, the only part of your car that actually connects the car to the road. It is so important. And the amount of people who either want to cheap out on tires or don't actually check that their tires have got any tread on them oh, and that kind of thing. I say tread. I was like, tread. another lingo. There you go, tread. Yeah, so, I mean, if anyone wants to check, the, the minimum legal tread depth is 1.6 millimetres, but they advise three millimetres as a minimum. You can sort of check that with the edge of a 20 pence piece, actually, if you put a... T- oh, that <laughs> that's, that's, a that's a way. You can get proper gadgets to check it. <laughs> or you can, you can just take your car in for a health check. I was going to say, something. I won't be doing that <laughs> But yeah, it is really important that your tires are in good condition and that the pressures are correct. Um, obviously that will get done at a service or whatnot but you can check them yourself and if you're not sure what pressure your tyres need to be at it will be in your vehicle handbook or most cars actually have it on like a sticker that's somewhere around the driver's door when the door's open so you can see what they should be the other thing is make sure your wipers are working and you've got washer fluid because if it is snowing and sometimes it's just you know you've got to be able to see out your windscreen so that's, that's an important one. Uh, check that your lights are working. It's an annoying one because usually you need a second person uh, to walk around the car with you, but especially rear lights, fog lights, because if people coming from behind can't see you and it's foggy and you're driving much slower than they are, it's going to be a big, big problem. Other than that, if you're heading out on a long journey, just make sure you've got a decent amount of fuel or, or if you've got an electric car, make sure you've got a decent amount of charge before you set off because if you do get stuck in a long jam, the last thing you need is the added stress of the fuel light being on or having no more miles and, and thinking, oh... Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Shoo-wee. always be prepared. <laughs> always be. But what about gloves though? Because I'm assuming, like for me, I've got quite bad dexterity, mm. so my joints can get quite sore in winter. So, would you recommend having some leather gloves? Will they detract from grip, or, or is that advisable? No, no. You can get driving gloves. You can get gloves that are for driving that will give you grip on the steering wheel. But yeah, absolutely, that that is important. Uh, and I'd maybe recommend looking at a car with a heated steering wheel as well, Ooh. if you can. <laughs> They're not Snazzy. super common, but there are some cars on the scheme that have them. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Driving gloves are fine. Uh, it's a good idea. And lastly, uh, on, on terms of just preparation with the car, it's not a bad idea to keep a, a, it feels a bit extreme, but it's not a bad idea to keep like a winter safety kit with you that has things like a warning triangle in case you yes. break down, a blanket. <laughs> Next to my kill kit. Is that what it is? <laughs> 
Next year. Yeah. Is this what the, the actual? Is this what you were yeah, really yeah, talking yeah. about with the driving yeah, gloves? Yeah, yeah. the yeah. driving gloves are doubling up basically <laughs> to mask your fingerprints. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So stuff like that, food, water, yeah. just stuff that you might torch. need if you if you break down at the side of the road. Yeah, torch yeah. exactly. Uh, that sort of thing. And then and then the main thing to do once you get going is actually to think about your driving. So. For, for one thing, stopping distances is the biggest thing in, in poor weather because A, visibility is reduced, so you take longer to see hazards anyway, so your reaction times are longer, but it takes the car a lot longer to stop. And it will take the car much longer to stop than people think it will in bad mm. conditions. So in heavy rain, you're generally looking at at least double the stopping distance you would have in the dry. Now, if you think it... it you know, if your stopping distance is 100 meters, then suddenly 200 meters is a lot more than that. Um, it's quite, a, you know, it's quite a big distance. So do keep your distance from the car in front. If it's snowy or icy out, that that stopping distance increases exponentially. Mm -hmm. You can be looking at up to 10 times the stopping distance yeah. in snow or ice. Black ice scare terrifies me. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like that is just something that just sends shivers up my spine mm. yeah absolutely that yeah it is scary uh, and the thing is if when you say sort of uh, 10 times the distance i know it does sound a lot anyway but if you imagine at say 30 miles an hour which is a pretty slow speed relatively speaking you're looking at potentially 200 meters to stop at that speed now 200 meters if, if you're having trouble visualizing that is about the dis the length of two football fields so if you think, if you imagine a 30 mile an hour road in a residential yeah. area where you drive and then imagine that distance, yeah. how long you need to potentially yeah. stop. It's a really long way. Yeah. So that is the main thing. Um, and moving away from ice, you mentioned black ice, the kind of rain equivalent of that, I guess, mm -hmm. is is sometimes there's deep standing water that you're not aware of. Wow. And if you hit that at speed, you can aquaplane, which you is where... Yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, so your car, your, basically your tyres can sort of break contact with the road because there's too much water for the tyres to displace. Yeah. Uh, and then you end up you sort of just skating on water mm -hmm. effectively. So aqua, just be mindful. If you see a lot of standing water in the road, just be careful that that could happen. Okay. Just what slow do you down. Around or just drive I, I would ideally, yeah, I, I did, if you see it in time, slow down. Yeah. And uh, if you can avoid it, great. If not, just slow down and so that when you go through it. Yeah. If you do hit it, uh, so generally the rule is if you hit something, so whether that's sort of ice or um, sort of standing water, if the car starts to sort of skid, start going sideways, you sort of steer into... I was going to say, so, yes, what do you do? You yeah. don't go, ah, and yeah. take your hands off the this wheel. Is, it, it, this is the thing. It is difficult because you can give this advice, but a lot of people in the heat of the moment oh, who gosh, aren't yeah. used to that, yeah. they will just panic. Absolutely. But if you can, so the important things to do are don't do anything like really sudden, like yeah. don't suddenly yank the steering wheel, don't mm -hmm. slam on the brakes, don't, you know, don't do anything. Yeah, yeah. it's all about being gentle yeah. with cars. Okay. Um, so if, for example, you, your car sort of points, as if it starts pointing to the left, so the back of the car is sliding out yeah. to the right and the front of the car starts pointing to the left, you want to steer to the right. So, okay. sort of yeah. so you're almost steering in the direction that you, yeah, you want the car to be okay. travelling, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm, um, I'm totally going to wear a um, helmet when I drive <laughs> all the time. I'm going to be really, really beautiful. So um, to wrap up today's section, I really want to end on a high. What gadget? <laughs> Tell me, what have you got for it? Better be a right. cracker. <laughs> I hope you might be disappointed, uh, but maybe you won't because it's one that you could do with at the moment, Sam, if you were driving. Uh, it's a <laughs> it's a sun visor tissue dispenser. So you could get a little thing that attaches to the sun visor and has tissues in it for you. Because when you're driving, right, if you sneeze and you're on a motorway and yeah, let's say you yeah, need a trouble. tissue, that is really not an ideal scenario to you be in when you're driving. Have you got a long tongue like this? <laughs> like this? A little bit? 
Because, you know, we, especially when we're coming up to winter, you've got a cold. Or hay fever. Just one comes out, because you know, when you've got a cold fishing yeah. and loads come out, that's very annoying. Yeah, that's but not, also, that's I've got short arms, so yeah. I don't even know whether, like, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. That's a good pain, actually. I just need a robotic arm to do everything for me while I'm driving. You know what? Mop my brow. Maybe put I'll, my glasses on. Maybe I'll have a look into robot arms for Please the next do. episode. Please do. Thank you, Matt. You're more than welcome. Final car chat of the Thanks season. for having me. It's been brilliant. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Really season enjoyed it. Two. Season two. Season two. <laughs> yeah. And that's it for this season of the Motability Lifestyle Pod. We really hope you've enjoyed the ride. Thank you to our in-house specialist, Matt Lizzymore, and our guest, Mark Allmod. Thank you to our producer, Jolene Goffin, at Rethink Audio, and our editorial assistant, Lucy Rose, at Wonderly. If you like this episode, follow us, tell all your friends, and please leave us a review. If you want to tell us what you thought, or if there's something you'd like to hear, come and say hello on Instagram. For some behind-the-scenes content, follow us on TikTok and watch the full video on youtube and i'd like to add that there's a bsl version and a captioned version you can find us on motability underscore lifestyle underscore mag finally if you want more information about motability scheme go to motability.co.uk or if you want to learn more about motability foundation visit motability.org.uk and that's it i'm sophie marie odom oh and i'm samantha rank see you next time Bye. Bye.